of heights to the depths of the sea. And here he is engaging in this, marrying this woman, becoming one with this idolater. And it was just a, a litmus test, really, of what was happening in Judah anyway. They had already started to slip very badly into idolatry, and so it's no surprise. And so, verse 19, it says, Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David. Remember, and it says, As he promised him. All exclaiming, Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. This King Jehoram of Judah should not be confused with the King Jehoram of Israel mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 3. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. This was not a compliment. While the southern kingdom of Judah had a mix of godly and wicked kings, the northern kingdom of Israel had nothing but evil, God-rejecting kings. The wickedness of Jehoram was not a surprise, considering how much he allowed himself to be influenced by the house of Ahab. He eventually married Ahab's daughter. Perhaps this marriage made sense politically and socially, but it was a spiritual calamity for Judah. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 8 in the book of 2 Kings. You know, that's a lot of stuff that he's bringing to the man of God. And he came and he stood before him and he said, Your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? Notice what Hazael is saying. He's coming to this Israeli prophet and saying, Your son, Ben-Hadad... He's appealing to this prophet, maybe buttering him up, I don't really know, but he, look who's in control now. Is it Ben-Hadad, the great king of Syria, or is it this humble man from Israel, this prophet? Your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you saying, shall I recover from this disease? And isn't it interesting that when people are near death, all of their idols, their false crutches, they come to nothing. And they ultimately come to the feet of Jesus, many of them. Some don't. Some die angry and, and fearful. And there's nothing worse than being, seeing somebody on their deathbed with no hope at all and knowing that they're going to hell and they are fine with that. I've never experienced that. But I've heard of people who have, and it's really horrible. And the king of Assyria is going, you know what, my, my time is coming and I know it. And there's only one God that I know who can save me, who can heal me anyway. I'm not sure if this man knew the Lord or not, but he certainly got healed, right? So Elisha said to him, Go and say to your master, you shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that, you will, that he will surely die. What? You're going to get healed, but you're going to die. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. That sounds like a, a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? 
Then he, Elisha, verse 11, set his countenance, notice, and he's talking with Hazael, and he looks right at Hazael, and he says, however, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. And Elisha stares down Hazael, and he looks directly at him. Have you had somebody stare you down, or have you stared somebody down? And you look right at their eyes. Maybe you're angry with them, or maybe you're just trying to get a point across, and there comes an awkward moment when they're like, okay, what's happening here? <laughs> and Hazael said, why? And, and then notice, Elisha set his countenance in a stare at Hazael until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. He, he looked at him sincerely, diligently, and then he just starts breaking down in tears. And then Hazael said, verse 12, Why is my Lord weeping? And he answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds. You will set on fire. Their young men you will kill with the sword, and you will dash their children and rip open the women with child. And we know that Hazael would do this. Later on, we're going to read later on that he would actually follow through on this thing. But notice what Hazael says in verse 13. He says, but what is your servant? Am I a dog that I would do these, this gross thing? And Elisha said, the Lord has shown me also that you will become king over Syria. Come again? <laughs> yeah, you're going to be the king of Syria. And notice Hazael didn't even know his own heart. You know, when he's saying this to Elisha, do you think I'm a dog that I would do this gross thing? And Elisha is just staring right into his soul, and he knows what's, what's, what's in him. And one of two things are either happening. Either Hazael didn't know his own heart, or the worst case scenario, he knew what he was all about. He knew the evil in his own heart, and he was just pretending that these things weren't true of him. But notice what happens in verse 14. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? Am I going to get better? And he answered, he told me that you would surely recover. Notice he didn't tell him, but he also told me that you're going to die. He only told him half of it. He didn't tell the king the whole story because Ben-Hadad's story was going to end in just a few hours, and he didn't even know it because of what happened in verse 15. But it happened on the next day that Hazael took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face so that he died, and Hazael reigned in his place. So Hazael smothered Ben-Hadad to death. Shalmaneser III, who was the king of Assyria, says this of Hazael. He said, Hazael, a son of nobody, seized the throne. He was a son of nobody, and yet here he seizes the throne, not even aware of the own evil in his heart, which is unfortunately the truth of many and yet God was already looking in the soul of this man and telling him the things that he was going to do. That can't be me. I would never do such an awful thing like that. And boy, I tell you, isn't it crazy? We don't even know the, the things that we would do. And I, I'm finding that I, I try not to ever say, oh, I would never do that because I've been in situations, circumstances have come about where I would say that I would never do that, and then it does. And then I'm like, Lord, you're so true. I should have no confidence in anything of myself because I betray my who I think I really am. 
Oh, if that happened to me, I would do this. And, well, let's see it happen. And then God, at some point down the road, when you're least expecting it, brings about that circumstance and you don't do it. Because you don't know your heart. I don't know my own heart. And so he kills Ben-Hadad. And we will see later on in 2 Kings, he's going to be one of the most murderous men. And it's a horrible thing. Horrible trail of blood he led. But notice in verse 16, it says, Jehoram, it says, Now in the fifth year of Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, pay attention to the king of Israel. This is the Joram, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. So now we have uh, Joram in the north and um, Joram in the south. And they both reigned... um, At the same time, both Jehorams. And Jehoram was the son of Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat reigned from 873 to 848 B.C. And then Jehoram reigned from 853 to 841 B.C. And so actually what happened was, is as Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, as he began to get sick, his son became co-regent with him for about three years. He became co-regent with Jehoshaphat, his father, until Jehoshaphat died, and then Jehoram would um, remain on the throne. And it says in verse 17, he was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked, notice, in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab. Who was Ahab? Was he a king of the northern tribes or the king of the southern tribes? Ahab. He was the king of the northern tribes, right? An easy way to think of it, I always get Ahab and Ahaz confused. Think alphabetically. Ahab, B comes before Z, doesn't it? So Ahab in the north, Ahaz in the south. That's one way, a mnemonic device that I use to get Ahab and Ahaz together and know where they came from. But it was Ahab. He did exactly. He was a king of Judah, but he was doing the sins of those in, in the northern ten tribes. And notice what it says. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife. So this Jehoram of of Judah is now marrying the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And her name, it says, was Athaliah. And notice what it says about Jehoram of the south. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. It used to be that only those in the northern ten tribes were the evil ones, and then those in Judah and Jerusalem, you know, most of them were really good kings, but, you know, there was only a handful out of all the kings, maybe six, seven of kings that were really good. The rest of them learned from the, the idolatry of their northern brothers and sisters, and they became idolatrous as well. That's why God led the northern ten tribes away into captivity first. Remember, through Assyria in 722? And then it would be 150 or so years more, and then the Judah and Benjamin wouldn't repent of their sins. They did the same exact thing, and God's like, well, I'm going to take care of that too. So he allows Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar to come in 606 to lay siege to Jerusalem for 20 years and, and bringing deportments of Jews and bringing them captive, and then finally in 580, or, uh, 586, B.C., they set the place on fire. And now they're all captive. And there's a handful staying in Jerusalem, but most were led away to captive to Babylon. 
But notice that this Jehoram of Judah, he marries Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah. Do you think she was a good girl? <laughs> think about the home that, that she grew up in. Ahab and Jezebel. You've heard of that two duo, right? They're, they were like one of the worst couples in the history of the world. Idol-worshipping, horrible people. And their daughter was no different, unfortunately. And so what does a good Jewish boy like Jehoram do? He marries the demon-worshipping daughter of her mom and dad. (laughs) He marries her. Not a very wise decision. Not a godly union for sure. Doesn't it tell us in Corinthians 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And here he is engaging in this, marrying this woman, becoming one with this idolater. And it was just a a litmus test, really, of what was happening in Judah anyway. They had already started to slip very badly into idolatry, and so it's no surprise. And so verse 19, it says, Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David. Remember, and it says, As he promised him, he promised, God promised David to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. Do you remember? You might want to write in your margin of your Bible after verse 19, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. This is what we call the Davidic covenant that God had made to David. And let me just read it to you. Because God is remembering the promise that he made to David a long time ago. And now he's thinking, you know what? You deserve judgment, Jehoram. You deserve judgment, but I am not going to judge you yet. And and I'm not going to remove you from Jerusalem because I made a promise to David. And here's the promise in chapter, verse 12 of 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled, God says to David... And you rest with your fathers. I will set up your seed after you who will come from your own body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, immediately he's talking about Solomon. But even further beyond Solomon, who is he speaking about? Jesus. Exactly. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he commits iniquity, speaking of Solomon, I will chasten him with the rod of men and the blows of the son of man. But my mercy, notice, shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And notice, here it is, verse 16. What a wonderful promise. And your house and your kingdom, David, shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And you may be wondering, well, where is his kingdom today? There's no one on the throne in Israel right now, but there is. (laughs) Jesus is in heaven, and he's coming back, and he's going to take his rightful place on the throne of his father, David, fulfilling this Davidic covenant literally in the future, right? Wonderful, isn't it? Notice in verse 20, and then we'll finish up here, uh, the next couple of verses. 
Actually, we got a few here. We'll go through them. So, um, and in his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Edom was a vassal of Judah, but their rebellion was due to their continued idolatry and turning away from the Lord. So verse 21, so Joram went to Zair and all his chariots with them, and he arose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. And the troops fled to their tents. Thus, Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. And Libna revolted at that time as well. Now the rest of the acts of Joram, this, this king of the, of the north, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Remember, Chronicles is all about the kings of Judah. And so Jehoram rested in his, with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Zion, that little piece of land right to the south uh, east of, of the Temple Mount that you can go there today and see where, Dave, where Zion was. They've unearthed it. They, they, you can go there and visit. And you can see where David's palace used to be and everything was. It's all there. I've seen it twice so far. In fact, I was there um, in, in 2011, and they were just uncovering it. They were just getting to that point where things were starting to come. And then the last time I went in 2020, uh, seen the whole thing you know, pretty much excavated as much as they could do, and it's, it's amazing. That, that, was, that was Mount Zion. That's where the Ark of the Covenant rested before they built the temple. <laughs> and then they took it from this place called Zion, and they took it up the hill to the temple. Amazing, amazing place. And David was all over that place. And Solomon certainly running around as a little boy. So verse 25, it says, In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, notice king of Israel. So the Joram in the north, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Notice, in the twelfth year of Jehoram, or Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. So remember, you got two different kingdoms. Joram, now in, uh, in the, in, of Israel, and Ahaziah now, the son of Jehoram, because uh, Jehoram died, and he began to reign. And Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned for one year in Jerusalem. And notice, his mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. So notice, in power for literally one year. But notice how quickly they were infected with the idolatry. So he walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord, like, notice, the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. So he really didn't change at all. And he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead. Remember, Ramoth-Gilead is that piece of land on the... um, eastern side of the, uh, of the Jordan River, closer to Syria. And so Syria naturally grabs a hold of that land, and now uh, Ahaziah is now teaming up with Joram, the king of Israel, to go against Hazael, king of Syria, um, and, at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram. So the king Joram went back to Jezreel to recover from his wounds, which the Syrians had inflicted on him at ramah and when he, fought against, when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. 
And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. And it's kind of an interesting thing to see, you know, just the, the, the kings, you know, Judah should never have gotten tied up with those kings in the, in the north. They really should have just broken and made, them th- made themselves separate. But you see in instances like this, and we've seen it before in previous chapters, where they started to form alliances against bigger enemies. So instead of you know, Israel going against Syria, now Israel and Judah would both go. And a lot of times, you know, God was saying, Judah, stay out of it. This is not your battle. And yet they did it, and it got them into some trouble. And some kings have, have died as a result of that, early, premature. And so, so that is all we're going to look at tonight. We'll, we'll look at uh, chapter 9 the next time we get together. But um, I just love this, this part in the first six verses. It's just so interesting to me, just the, the divine appointment. Don't be surprised by divine appointments. Embrace them when you get them, because usually if, there's a, if you're being inconvenienced somehow, the chances are God might be just breaking through your busy schedule to do something with your life, to uh, cause you to speak something to somebody. And so as you read those first six verses over again, just consider that. And consider your day tomorrow as you, uh, because you know you can, you can look at these things in your life as petty disturbances or things that are just like gnats flying around your head. They, they become just annoying. Or you can look at those things that happen outside of you that are vying for your attention or interrupting something you're doing. And all of a sudden you realize, hmm, I wonder if the Lord wants to do something different today. (laughs) Would you be open to it? And sometimes I can be so caught up in my own schedule of things that I forget that God wants to do something and use me. And he wants the thrill. He wants me to enjoy the thrill of being used by him to minister to somebody else. If that hasn't happened to you, I pray that it does. Because you'll realize... And I will realize again and again, Lord, these interruptions probably are, you're designing them for a reason. You're allowing them for a reason. Help me to know what it is. And help me not to get angry when it does happen. But just to go with you with it. Just flow with it. Does that make sense? Let's stand and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, um, this chapter tonight. Lord, we thank you for just the the history. Lord, we thank you for the many things that we can learn from it, Lord. And Lord, just as you worked in the lives of these Old Testament saints, Lord, you are working in our lives. And Lord, you're not a respecter of persons. You you don't change. You've never changed. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, and these people are no different than us, Lord. They had lives. They had busy lives. And they, they did things. And and yet, God, you, you show us time and time again that we're really no different. We want the same things. We desire the same things. And Father, help us to desire the right things. Lord, we know that many of them deserved or, or um, desired evil things, and they became idolaters. 
And Lord, we know that today that's true as well. There are idolaters all around us, and hopefully none of us are one of those. Lord, just... And that idol doesn't have to be a, a, a statue of gold on the, on, the, on the mantle of the fireplace, Lord. It could be a person. It could be a car. It could be a job. It could be a skill. Lord, it could be anything that we put more important than you. And so, Lord, have your way with us tonight. And just break us of those things and help us to come to you with open hearts, Lord. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.